Hi, welcome to the pub. Come on in. So now this is a fun topic, right? UFOs. Seems like a big deal these days. I just read a big article in the New York Times about this. Apparently, the government is trying hard not to look like they're still hiding information about these things. And by the way, they're now called unidentified aerial phenomena. I guess the UFO label has uh, way too much wacko baggage attached to it. In any case, the feds are putting together a pretty big report on this uh, with more and more respectable and intelligent folks like Air Force and Navy pilots uh, willing to admit that, uh, hell yes, I saw that damn thing. We didn't know what the fuck it was. Well, maybe their exact quotes will be part of the redacted report. But the point is that these things in the air that nobody seems to be able to explain or is willing to explain to the public at large. Now, I am not a conspiracy theorist by any stretch of the imagination, but it does give me pause that when the president directs the secretary of defense and the director of national intelligence to produce an unclassified report on what the government folks know about UFOs, that it will most likely come with a classified annex. What the hell? That's pretty damn sneaky, putting the real juicy details of an unclassified report uh, into a classified annex. I guess you have to be really specific with these guys on the details like that. It sounds like there's been a group working on this in the background for well over a decade now, uh, the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force, whose mission was to detect, analyze, catalog sightings of strange objects in the sky that could potentially pose a threat to the U.S. national security. Hmm. Well, first thing, if you want to pay lip service to an issue or topic, assign a task force to do the work. They have no power, sketchy lines of responsibility, and probably no budget. Now, if there was somebody in the federal government who would not want the world to know that the U.S. was experimenting with super-advanced aircraft, or that they were afraid some other country was experimenting with super-advanced aircraft, or, oh, I don't know, maybe some alien race was scouting the planet for a new place to call home, who in the federal government would that person most likely be? And would you give him or her the job of telling the public all about it? Hmm, sounds a lot like uh, asking the fox to keep an eye on the hen house to me. The other thing I learned, and this is a really cool thing, the very first UFOs, uh, which we called flying saucers at the time, because that's what the newspapers called them, I, I think the Seattle Times printing press actually ran out of the letter U in their typesetting systems at the time and couldn't physically print the U in UFOs. A private pilot named Ken Arnold back in 1947 saw nine flying saucers near Mount Rainier. That's just a few short miles from the Raven and Thistle pub. Kind of scary to think that the Pacific Northwest could have easily been the original Area 51. I think we dodged a huge fucking bullet on that one. The New York Times article noted that the sightings of unidentified objects in the U.S. has risen during the coronavirus pan pandemic. I, I guess more people are spending long days at home turning to the sky-gazing thing. Now, these reports increased about 15% last year to more than 7,200, according to this National UFO Reporting Center. Now, this is interesting. Could it be that the aliens flying around thought that the pandemic was it? This was the big ending for humanity that would make it much easier for them to move in. I guess the aliens didn't factor in the power of social distancing. Or maybe they only observed what was happening in Florida and figured, damn, these humans are on the fast track to extinction. Well, it's easy to joke about UFOs, but a United States senator recently told 60 Minutes that there should be a process by which reports of UFOs are cataloged and constantly analyzed until we get some answers. Maybe it has a simple answer, or maybe it doesn't. Wow. Intelligent and insightful words from our leadership. Maybe it's simple, maybe it's not. Well, it was a senator from Florida, so... 
Well, I've got my eyes on a Highland whiskey that I want to tell you all about. Be right back. Okay, I'm back, and I've got a really nice dram of, of a single malt whiskey called Dalwini. Uh, now, Dalwini's a Speyside whiskey. Uh, the, the, the village of Dalwini, really small place, uh, about 50 miles south of Inverness, um, in the middle of the mountains. Uh, the Grampians on one side, the Cairngorms on the other. Uh, it's one of the highest distilleries in Scotland, uh, over a thousand feet elevation, which is pretty high for, for Scotland. Um, the, the name Dalwini means uh, meeting place in Gaelic. Uh, and th this village stands uh, at the junction of some old cattle driving routes from the west and north down into the lowlands. Uh, there was a lot of whiskey smuggling going on along this route at the time. Uh, originally, this distillery was called uh, Strathspey uh, when it opened back in 1897 uh, because it's near the upper reaches of the, the Spey River. The, uh, uh, th this is a, a, a really uh, classic uh, uh, space-side whiskey. Uh, bright gold color, uh, uh, very uh, aroma, aromatic nose, kind of a dry, lightly peated um, uh, scent. The um, uh, very smooth, long-lasting flavor, kind of a heather honey notes, uh, some malty sweetness, uh, and a long crescendo in the finish. Um, you know, a, a really nice place. I actually had the chance to visit the Dalwini uh, Distillery when I was in Scotland a while back, and it's a, it's a super cool little place. And the, uh, if, if you find one at a, at, a, at a restaurant or a bar, it's, it's well worth uh, uh, tr trying if you like uh, uh, space-side whiskeys. The, um, uh, so let me finish this up, and uh, I've got a, uh, an uppity woman story that uh, I think you might find it interesting. Um, sit tight. When's the last time you sent a ladies' peace day greeting card or saw it marked on your calendar? Does it ring a bell? Well, join the club. The ladies' peace or the pox de dames, sometimes called the Treaty of Cambrai, uh, if it's referred to at all, however, it was a really big deal back in August the 3rd, 1529. On that momentous date, uh, two patrician women met to sign papers. In the blue trunks, representing France, was the Dowager Queen Louise of Savoy. She was signing in on behalf of her young son, Francis. Uh, in the red knickers was Margaret of Austria, signing in for her nephew, the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V. Uh, the women weren't there as a photo op or mere signature stand-ins. They did all the negotiating, hammering out a complex treaty that, among other things, gave parts of Italy its freedom from French domination and traded two French princes for a pile of cougarans. Radical idea, huh? Two women working out on a peace treaty? Too bad it didn't stick or set a precedent. Uh, the ladies' peace lasted about 15 minutes before France and the Holy Roman Empire engaged in further treacheries and aggressions. But hey, uh, at least Queen Louise and Margaret uh, gave their best shot, and we appreciate that. Um, well, that's about all the time we have uh, uh, here in the pub today. Uh, thanks for stopping by, and look forward to seeing you soon. Slancha.